welcome in to part two of episode 100. This part of the episode, we will be talking about Secret Project 3. So anyone who would like to join us for Secret Project 3, keep watching if you're keeping yourself spoiler free for that uh, part one of that book, then please don't watch this one. And then we'll be reconvening for Don Shard as normal next week. So this week is Secret Project 3. And we are going to start with a video that Ranksk has put together for us on some of his reactions. And we'll be talking back and forth for it. Yes, Paul? Uh, right quick, before we hop into it, I have something I'm excited to show everyone, which I've been waiting for for a little while. Um, it's not its not actually that, that crazy. But I made... I painted a mug, which I don't believe I've shown off yet. Maybe I have. If I you have, I feel real dumb. You haven't. But I, I went to this little art studio thing, which was fun, and I painted a mug, a, a Windrunner mug, and it's got the little, you know, it's very poorly done but i did my best i did, tried to get the windrunner logo on there and so my mug for this episode is my official handmade it's kind of got like a starry night thing going on too um very nice windrunner mug so i might make the other night's radiant orders too because it'd be fun um but yeah i just wanted to show that off before we get started thank you all for paying attention i might have you make me a stoneward one uh yeah we, we haven't mentioned that on the podcast but spencer you are a stone ward and i will say stone wards are so cool i the stone ward order is so so cool yeah and they're okay yep. <laughs> not very reliable you know yeah <laughs> exactly exactly not very reliable all right so we will start a discussion with uh, Rank's video here. We'll be pausing in, in here, and I'll be splitting it up a little bit, and we can talk about what he talks about. So let's let's start with this. Hello to Trevor, Paul, Elliot, and everyone listening slash watching. My name's David Klamage. I also go by Rank'sk, and I'm a patron of Following Noadon and hang out in their Discord quite a bit and love theorizing. I've read all of the Cosmere and am very deep into Cosmere theorizing, so... Uh, I have a lot of really interesting conversations with Trevor that Paul and Elliot don't get to see, uh, but maybe here's a little taste of it. Um, so I think that there are things you can notice about this story if you've read some of the Cosmere books that haven't been covered yet on the podcast, especially uh, Rhythm of War. There's a bit of that, um, but also Elantris. There's stuff from Mistborn that I think is relevant, but I think that you can get a lot out of this without knowing those things. And, but if you do know, then you know. Um, so what I wanted to talk about while I was reading it was, oh, this is clearly Hoyt telling the story, just like Secret Project One. Um, but then that was just outright confirmed in various different ways, including in the end notes by Brandon himself saying, yep, this is Hoyt narrating. So, um, I guess I, I can't show off how clever I am for how early I, I figured out that it was Hoyt, right? Um, but, I think there's some really interesting things going on in this world that that are worth talking about. Um, it seems kind of minor, but one really interesting thing to talk about is that there's a lot of mathematical things going on here. We've got the Fibonacci sequence that's happened a few, mid-mentioned several times uh, in the story, as well as a lot of prime numbers that come up. Um, and I'm not talking about just Design, who is a cryptic from Roshar, who of course would love sequences of prime numbers. We're talking about... Um, 
you know, the various rituals that are on the uh, sunny planet <laughs> uh, with, with Yumi. Um, and so I think that's pretty interesting that maybe numbers are, are important to these worlds. All right. Quick, quick yes or no around the circle. Did you guys notice the, the prime number sequence that he's referring to? Uh, Tim? Yes. Elliot? Yes, but I didn't. It didn't seem important. Spencer, not the first time. And Paul, same as Elliot. I noticed, but I didn't think it mattered. And I think that's just a question that he has: is he's he noticed it, but I don't know if it's super important. Like she has to hold Yumi has to hold her breath for a hundred and forty-four seconds, uh, which has all sorts of mathematical implications that that uh, that number. So. And then there's all, her ritual has a bunch of prime numbers in it. So the, there's something strange going on there with the maybe the religion, maybe that actually does have Cosmere implications on it. But uh, as far as we know, that they're just ritualistic. I mean, we know that Brandon loves random religious significance, right? That, you know, if one world can love symmetry and believe that that's spiritual than one other world could love prime numbers sure why not i love the theory i think it's great all right another section from ranks something that's interesting to talk about would be uh the fact that hoid seems to have been frozen in time during this time period and i guess he got better um and then design his cryptic is sort of just hanging out, waiting for him to no longer be a coat rack. <laughs> so that, that's interesting. We can theorize all day about what happened to Hoyd. Is this a common occurrence for him? He didn't seem all that concerned about it when he was telling the story, but who knows? Also, he was somehow aware of the story taking place, even though he was a coat rack at the time. So maybe design told him the story, or maybe he's uh, you know inventing it a little bit. But uh, We'll see how that ends up going. Okay, so for Paul and Elliot, design is the cryptic that Hoyd bonds at the very end of Oathbringer. You you figure this out about three, uh, not quite, a couple chapters into Rhythm of War, that that cryptic's name is Design, and Hoyd becomes a Lightweaver. So they, that that's his cryptic's name is uh, Design, and she's running this noodle shop in this in this story. So what, what were you guys' thoughts on that and the implications of him being frozen in time? I was really, really curious about this. The, the, the cryptic design that you know, kind of slaughtered in is, you know, okay, makes sense. It, it took me a second to kind of, you know, remember that, but then I was with it. The frozen in time part, like, he's just so nonchalant about it. Like, oh, yeah, and by the way, that statue in the corner, yeah, that's me. I'm just chilling. I'm stuck there. Yeah. Oh, well, like, wait, what? That seems like a big deal. Like, it didn't seem like it was something that he chose to do. It seems like it's, you know, he's been imprisoned or captured or turned into a statue. Like, one, who can do this? Where Where is this power coming from? Two, who, uh, we kind of know people are after a Hoyd. Did someone find him? Did one of her, our, those other kind of random names we've heard of, did one of them kind of catch up to Hoyd and turn him into a statue? Like, I have questions. Yeah. Ishik finally caught up to him. 
<laughs> so Yishik has the power like, to freeze someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, I Wait I will say it. I didn't even really notice that he was frozen in time. I knew he was kind of just like stuck in this corner. But I, I guess I didn't realize that he was frozen in time. That doesn't fully make sense to me. I don't understand. I did. I didn't pick that up honestly, um, and I kind of listened to this twice. But yeah, yeah. As I as I read through this for a second time, I kind of skimmed through it earlier today. I noticed that Boyd uh, specifically says that he was aware of what was going on around him at that moment. So I just like okay, how? Obviously, you know, how did this happen? But how is he still aware of what's going around, going on around him? Like, is it frozen in time and that he just can't move? Or, like, you know, he's still aware of what's going on around him. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I theorize that uh, I definitely place Hoyd in a box closer to shards than regular people. And in my mind, shards have rules and they can break those rules, but with consequences. And so I'm almost wondering if Hoyd broke a rule like surrounding himself that allowed, that basically caused him to get frozen in time. Well, I like that theory. There are a couple, I won't go too far into this, but there's a, a few conversations that are unpublished, not, not, not canon between Frost and Hoyd that talk about rules um, and the implications of breaking rules. So, Also, something I have to constantly remind myself about design is that she was about to become Elokar's Spren. Yes. And I just, I can never like wrap my head around that. Do you remember that part, Paul? You seem to just have your mind blown over there. That's not news no, to you. No, I don't. I don't remember that. I remember Elikar like almost having a spren, and we were like, "Whoa, Lightweaver" or something like that. But I didn't. Yeah. So then, also, I just, I just now learned that this is, you know, like I we saw at the end of Oathbringer, right? Like Hoyd and a spren, whatever. But I, I, I'm a lot of these pieces are coming to me hot off the press right now. Right. And stuff, so I did not think about that. So Hoyd goes back to where Elikar was killed and finds the spren that was hidden in the stone there. Um, so right. it, that is Elokar's spren that he was trying to bond. Because oh in uh, Wave King's Words of Radiance and uh, Oathbringer 2, Elikar mentions seeing like twisted shapes behind him in mirrors. Yep. And one time he specifically says to Kaladin, he's like, and it went away when you came because the cryptics are afraid of Kaladin and the honor spread. And it's just like, oh. Just all coming together. I remember the moment we just, you know, chalked that up to his paranoia, right? Because he's like, they're out to kill me. I see shapes in the shadows. Like, okay, Elkar, you know, whatever, man. But no, you're right. As soon as you bring that up, it's like, oh. He was paranoid, but also right. All right, let's keep going. But the main thing that I want to talk about is the magic system here, where, especially on the uh, the sunny planet, 
Yumi is able to sort of commune with spirits and convince them to split themselves into two parts. And from those two parts, you have kind of two opposites. And the fact that there's these two opposites now mean that what was once sort of, um, you know, a normal average is now brought into two extremes. So the, the example that's given, you know, you, you could become two, one ball of light and one ball of sort of bluish dark. Um, and the ball of light is useful and the, the dark just sort of hangs out with it. Um, and they use that to light their homes and things like that. Or the, the gravitation thing where it seems like, you know, something is floating because there's something that maybe is sinking and something that's rising. So they repel each other like magnets and then that allows things to float. Um, something that's unclear to me is whether everyone can see these spirits or just Yumi and those like her. Um, we know that only Yumi can talk to them and convince them to do these things. But can everyone see them? I mean, are things floating and they see that it's spirits causing that? Or um, maybe they can only see them after they've split and become physical? Um, that was not clear to me at all. Maybe someone found something in the text to say one way or the other. All right. So let me just say right off the bat, the ranks got way more out of that than I did on my reads. I'm 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 trying to wrap my head around what is happening here. Like, this is... There's nothing else like this in the published Cosmere. Elliot and Paul, you're not missing out on anything. You have just as much context as the rest of us when we've when we're here. So there's there's spirits and they're splitting and they use them to light their homes or whatever. And I'm trying to understand. And then Ranks just seems to get it right off the bat. Which so props to him. What what do you guys think? I think the closest thing we've seen so far is span reads and like conjoined fabrials that's like the closest thing to what it's describing as like a spirit split into two doing opposites i guess is i gonna pull up his his graph about span reads across the world and tangential velocity and stuff no don't give me another excuse to because because i will i will i will bore you guys to death if you ask me I didn't even pick up on the fact that there were two different planets here. I, I'm going to have to go back and reread this again. I focused in completely on Painter's planet. I, I was thinking about all of that. And, and, and I now realize like combining some of the elements of, of Yumi's setting with that. So now I have to go back and kind of divorce those two again because I didn't even, I didn't even catch. I, I was trying to figure out like how the two were where they were in relationship to each other and all, but yeah, the, the opposites thing. Very interesting. Go ahead, Paul. I'll go after you. Yeah, I, I can relate to that a little bit, Elliot. And, and also talking about what Trevor said earlier, ranks is bringing up really great points, which I'm excited to, to keep diving into on the magic system. But just to give insight on what my thoughts were while reading this, I was like, Oh, light blue and fuchsia. That's beautiful like like i was like pretty colors we have here and he's like oh yes the intricacies of this magic system like can everyone see you know like we're kind of playing two different ball games here with our first impressions but like, i wasn't oh, able that's to go pretty. back you know? <laughs> exactly i was trying to figure out what things looked like and whatnot but um but what elliot was saying it was my like second time that i was reading things whenever i actually realized either that or at the very end of the story of the seven chapters we got was whenever I realized they weren't on the same planet 
in the same place because I, I was I was confused about that for a little while. We can. I want to save some of the planet talk for later because ranks does bring it back up. So we'll, we'll save our theories on the two different planets, but they are two different planets. And one thing I will say is the a lot of people were theorizing in our Discord that the 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 one star in the sky for the for painter's planet is Yumi's planet. And the bright star for Yumi's planet is Painter's planet. Does that make sense? That because it even briefly mentioned on Painter's planet that they can see this star and see that there are people on it. So we yes. at least know that they're close enough that they can see that. Yeah, taking this a, a slightly different direction, uh, are we going to talk about where he compares the light to light bulbs? Where he talks about that? Yes, that's coming up. We'll, okay, we'll be talking awesome. about that here in a second. Let's keep going. Thanks to the video. Verbiage that's used on both planets, binding. So, you know, on Yumi's planet, we have the spirits being bound to be split apart and bound um, in this way that I just described. But on the nightmare planet, the dark planet, um, we have these same kind of spirit things. It seems like both of them may be, you know, just free floating investiture that's become somewhat sentient, uh, which I'll talk about a bit later. And um, you can bind them by, you know, through the cognitive realm, you can bind them to be, you know, a specific form or shape. And then by making that harmless, instead of, you know, based on, you know, powerful nightmare thoughts, you can give it other powerful thoughts that aren't so nightmarish. And then they become bound and you can bind them to be bamboo or, you know, something that can't move. And then they can no longer feed, you know, they, they run out of investiture. They seem to be fueled by investiture. They run out of it, they evaporate, and they're gone. So, in you know, even though these two magic systems seem very different, I think they are definitely related. Now, here comes my big theory. I'll pause it right there. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'll get there. Okay, so something that I wanted to bring up, which I'm sure you, uh, Paul and Elliot, you guys picked up on as well, is the relation that the spirits and then the nightmares uh, both have to spren and how they kind of behave similarly so painter his entire job is walking around and binding these nightmares on the cognitive realm so there there's people all over the city having nightmares at night and they can uh if they travel around enough they can manifest themselves on the physical realm and start doing damage so his his entire job as a painter is to walk around finding these nightmares, having a a stronger cognitive connection to it than the nightmare that than the nightmare has to whoever's imagining it, changing that into something harmless, and then you know it it doesn't hurt anybody anymore. So where were you? I thought that was super cool. By the way, so what were you guys' thoughts on that? He does that by painting them, right? Like by drawing them, right? Drawing, painting, and and I mean, it gave me distinct connections or, or like comparison to like how we see art used through a lot of things. Most notably, like with Shalon and the Stormlight Archive, um, and stuff. And so, I yeah, I was thinking like drawing comparisons to like light weaving and stuff like that in the cognitive realm um 
But yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I also just couldn't get the picture out of my head that these are the Midnight Essence from Delinar's first like visions in The Way of Kings. Um, like The description seemed so spot on between the two, but I could be wrong. It probably isn't that important. The connection that I made that I found very interesting is that these seem very similar to Spren in the fact that it took me back to that one interlude where it's these two random ardents talking about flame Spren. Yep. And they talk about how a Spren becomes what you define it as. So if you define a flame Spren as six inches tall, it will be six inches tall. And so seeing that here with these nightmares, if you define it as bamboo, it'll be bamboo. And I just thought that's I there has to be so much there, and I'm really excited to see it. It did seem like there were a lot of correlations you could draw to Spren. And also even the way that like the narrator Hoyd was speaking was almost as if he was speaking to a Rosharan audience. He would make references like, oh, and it glows like the spheres that you're used to, or you know, he'd make statements like that 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 were very familiar to me as a, as a stormlight archive reader. And, and so that got me curious as well. So something that I, I picked up on that as well is that uh, something I want to, to mention here. I, one of the first reactions I had was, was this, and I'll put it up on the screen for you guys. I'll just read it for, uh, for you guys. I asked the question, so is he telling the story to someone from Roshar or someone on Skadriel? which is where Mistborn is, because he mentions Scadriel by name, but then he also goes on to say uh, they're using lanterns or spheres as you would know them, or he uses the term chulls, he uses the term vadens and alethes, and all, all very Rosharan terms. But something that's interesting that I picked up on is the audio version and the written version that he released are different. And they are different, uh, that there's different verbiage here. He deletes the sphere reference from the written, uh, um, from the written thing he released. I, I did a control F on his, on his document that he released and I hit spheres. It doesn't come up. He changed it. But in his writ, in his uh, like spoken one, he mentions spheres. So, that begs the question, which one is more recent and which one is going to make the final cut? Because these are unpublished so far. So go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I, I wanted to hop in there uh, where uh, he he talks about the Vaden and the Lethe. Uh, he's talking to people who their first instinct would to be compare this to something they're familiar with which would be comparing the person to someone who's Vaden. And so I think that would be in line with, with the spheres reference. However, you know, as we, we do get the reference to light bulbs, right. As well as, you know, straight up saying schedule. Uh, and so may, maybe it's a diverse audience. Maybe there are multiple people. I definitely yeah, get the I'm feel. Sorry. I definitely get the feel that he's talking to a Rosharan world hopper. Someone who is born to Roshar and like 
first thoughts are Rosharan thoughts, but they've seen different worlds, so they have different points of view. I think my biggest question that I was taking away from this story is this, like, who is he talking to? I know we've seen where he, like, well, he's written letters to these other people who I don't really understand yet, but kind of know they're big, like Frost, like whoever. And I'm almost, from what we've been learning and talking about, I could honestly see this being a very big, like, long-winded story that he's telling someone on Roshar, just like a character on Roshar as, like, how he shared stories with some of the characters we've seen so far, like the Wandersale story, um, the, what was it? Fleet. The, the girl who looked up. Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Um, as like, this is a big tale, um, but more like seeing parts of the, the world. Um, and I'm wondering who he would be talking to. If I were really throwing a guess out there, I would say he's talking to Yasna. That's kind of going off of Spencer's thing of maybe someone on, Roshar, who is like more of a normal human scale, but like big powers, like a world hopper or something, you know. Um, so, all right, let's keep going. Yumi hears some ancient spirit talk to her at the very end of chapter six, uh, begging her to help them become unbound to free them. Uh, And then shortly after this event, something really weird happens between Yumi and Painter, uh, which Brandon kind of spoils a bit later. But what I think has happened here is let's take a step back. So we have a new shard called Virtuosity. This is new to us. Uh, Brandon had never revealed there was a shard named Virtuosity. The important thing is Virtuosity is dead. (laughs) So I don't know how much we're going to learn about her, but apparently Virtuosity was a her. Uh, at least the vessel. Um, at first, I thought virtuosity was from virtuous, as in some like very honorable, and it felt very similar to honor to me. But then I actually defined virtuosity, and it's actually great skill in music or other artistic pursuits. So like a virtuoso. So that was my confusion. I don't know if anyone else was confused by that, but I'm pretty sure that this is sort of an artistic art-related shard, which would definitely puts focus on why these two magic systems on these two different planets are working the way they do, where, you know, you're basically creating art in order to control the magic. And that would make a lot of sense for a shard named Virtuosity using that definition. Um, So I think that's really interesting. It also might make sense why Hoyd would like hanging out there. Um, So... Virtuosity splintered herself. Now, we don't know exactly the mechanics of that, and I think getting into the mechanics of that would be a bit spoilerly for this particular podcast, so I'm not going to get that into that too much. But we know that Honor was splintered. We know a few other shards were splintered by an external force, by Odium, uh, or by battles. But Virtuosity was just like, ah, oh, I'm going to splinter myself. Now, whether that was intentional or unintentional, we don't know. Um, but we do know what happened about, I think it said 1700 years ago. Now, timeline wise. Okay. So virtuosity, that was a, a big reveal for everybody in the fandom, not just Paul and Paul and Elliot. So you guys are getting fairly hot off the press Cosmere lore. Um, so that, that that's pretty cool for you guys. And now, quick question. Yep. So 
is this though still one of the 16? So is, is this just a reveal of one of the unnamed 16 essentially? Yes. Isn't okay. that the as the final of the 16 that we know? Uh no. There you know you and Tim are waiting for one more. All and Elliot are waiting for like seven more. We're getting there. We're learning. I I have to say, I didn't put together this stuff, but this is my favorite of all the things you've said, Ranksk. I think this is super cool. The virtuosity, like in the comparison with virtuoso and like music art. Um, I myself love music and just lots of things and like kind of the performing fine arts and stuff. And so I think that's beautiful. And I could totally see that connecting to the depiction I got in Yumi's Planet um, and the other, right? The painter, which I feel like I didn't get as stark of imagery from painter's world, which it's just kind of like dark and these like neon lights and stuff. So, but he's a painter. This is what he does, all that stuff, which is cool. On Yumi's Planet, I definitely just got like a beautiful depiction, at least in my mind's eye, of like this beautiful, like sunny landscape and kind of pristine, perfect. Um, and very ritualistic. So, yeah, I could totally imagine, like, arts and music and things being very interwoven in that. Um, and I just think that's a beautiful depiction. Like, I think that's super cool. I think that's really interesting because I had the opposite. I had a very vivid image of Painter's World and, like, the dark, brooding, Japanese, Korean-inspired, like, cluster city that he's in and he's going up and down the the noodle shops and the alleys and stuff like that i totally had that in my head um and it's always night always neon blue neon pink lights everywhere um and then uh, similar to what elliot was saying it wasn't until my second read that i realized oh we're on two separate planets here and the yumi's planet is super hot it's close to a uh, red giant which will uh, which ranks we'll talk about here in a second and there's some interesting mechanics there, but and then there's floating trees and tree uh, hustlers, which is funny to me. Also very possible that I did not have an accurate depiction of the world, but how I imagined it was very, like, peaceful gardens, like... Um, so, I, I, I felt it was a great fit. For this definition of virtuous, I the number one question I have, and the number one question he got on his spoiler stream, which I won't get into on this podcast. He had a, a spoiler question stream about this, uh, about this, these chapters. Is he was asked, uh, did virtuosity intend to shatter her splinter herself? And like that's a that's a huge question, uh, and big implications on how shards behave and what their their end goal is and why she would do that if it is intentional like there's so many questions there and we haven't seen that before so that that was super cool to just get a a bunch of questions off of one sentence <laughs> all right let's let's keep going i'm gonna go on a bit of a tangent the way the narrator is, it's using a lot of anachronisms. Uh, Hoyt is using anachronisms like light bulbs and firefighters, um, talking about space travel, um, to someone who seemingly is from Roshar. So I'm thinking... Ellie, did we lose you? 
no, I'm here. Uh, Rank stole my word. I was going to try and sound smart by using the word anachronism, and there he goes using it already. Continue. Thinking that at least the Hoyt who's telling the story is probably many, many years after Stormlight Archive, where Roshar is Cosmere aware, and they have things like light bulbs and firefighters. They're in more of a modern era or even futuristic era. Um, They're aware that space travel is at least possible to do um, and what that would mean. They're aware of the different shards and things like that. So Hoyt is talking to someone in some future time, but who knows when these events happened. And so it's a little bit hard to pinpoint, you know, is Virtuosity still alive during the events of, say, Stormlight Archive? Um, Or did Virtuosity splinter themselves after that? Or, you know, what is this timeline? I have no idea. Um, but at least at the time of this story, virtuosity is splintered. And that we know that causes all sorts of problems. Like honor is splintered, and you get these spran all over the place who are, you know, under no one's control and become sentient and things like that. Um, although that seemed to have happened even under honor's watch, when not before honor was splintered. But when a shard gets splintered, you get these weird things happening. Um, if you've read Elantris, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, but so, we have all this free-flowing investiture that's become somewhat sentient and is very much controlled in the cognitive realm. That sounds a lot like something that might be happening in Threnody as well, um, something that's happening in Atlantis. So that's something to keep an eye on. So Paul and Elliot, you probably got half of his references there. The key, key into Honor dying and Spren being everywhere, and then Threnody. So that's where Odium and Ambition clashed and we all got all of our shades from shadows for silence and uh but then elantris you can kind of relate to because i mean we haven't read elantris but we have read emperor's soul and that's the same um same planet there so what'd you guys get from from the the timeline of where you, you guys think this is i i agree with him that whoever he's talking to at least whoever he's talking to is likely from roshar and is familiar with technology that is modern day. Does that mean that Roshar is t- modern day? Maybe, like that that's likely, but it also could be someone from Roshar who has visited somewhere else and then that person just that person he's talking to is familiar with modern day technology and not necessarily Roshar as a whole. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I don't know that I have a whole lot to to add. I think all of that logic makes makes perfect sense. The fact that he, yeah, is making references to stuff that doesn't seem to fit into the world that at least I know of so far. I, I'm sure there's more of it that fits into the the Mistborn world, but yeah, it does definitely suggest a a future timeline. I I was a little confused. Yeah, I, I also don't know that I have that much to add to this, but I was a little confused with how many like actual real world Earth references there were. Um, I was like, this vo- has has like hypothetically Hoyd been to Earth? That'd, that'd be kind of fun, I guess. But like, it seemed like it because they were referencing things that were like like normal normal day things in 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 real life and stuff, and I didn't fully know what to make of that. Um, just a just a quick brief to answer to your question. Earth 
uh, he, Brandon Sanderson has said Earth is not in the Cosmere. So okay. our, like our Earth, you can't visit our Earth from the Cosmere. The Cytoverse, the Skyward, does reference our Earth and our history. So that's that's his distinction so that all the theorists out there don't get too tangled up of could Spencer meet Hoyd at some point. Like He's very specifically said, no, that's not a thing. And Earth is not in the Cosmere. So, but Hoyd certainly is referencing things that are Earth familiar. All right, let's take let's untangent ourselves here. I think that what happened here is probably around the same time Virtuosity splintered themselves. The spirit of the the planet. There was one planet, and the spirit of the planet became bound and split into two planets. And then they're separated by some sort of wall of misty investiture, dark misty investiture. Um, and if you've read Mistborn, you might know more of what I'm talking about there, but I'll leave it at that. But that's why on one planet, and probably it's a red giant or something like that, the planet's close to the red giant, probably wasn't so close before it became a red giant. Um, but there's a red giant, then there's the sunny planet that gets very hot. And so it's hotter than your average planet would be at that orbit. And then you've got mist in between. And then you've got cold planet that can't even see the sun because the sun, the, the investiture is blocking it from being seen. But then you can sort of see the, the sunny planet. I don't know. I'm getting confused. But the, the dark planet can see the sunny planet, but not the sun, which is really strange um, to me. But um, it can see the reflection of the sunny planet, and that's the only light they get from the sky. But then they also have these ribbons of light somehow um, that are investiture in the physical realm of some sort. So I think that's what happened. I think it was one planet because they share a common tongue, like the, the tongue has the same root as each as as themselves, like the, the language they speak. They seem to both be based off of Japanese slash Korean culture, um, and. So I think what happened is it was one planet. The planet got split into two. And I think probably all the people got split as well. Um, just everything split into two. There's now a, uh, you know, now there's the light orb and the dark orb, right? And I think that's why that was mentioned so many times in the story. That is one way that this magic works. And then the spirit of the planet became bound and trapped in that way. And so now, um, what Yumi has done is kind of by, found her opposite spirit because you know the the two opposite spirits one's male one's female it kind of lines up yumi and painter might be the same spirit that's been split into two and now they're kind of swapping places according to brandon in the in the notes past that so i think all of this lines up and i think probably the ultimate goal of the book will be to unbind the spirit and reform the planet to become one which you know removes a lot of the issues that both planets are having by one being too hot, one being too cold. Um, so those are my thoughts. I'm going to jump in here. Sorry, before I lose it. So I wonder if Hoyd is stuck in time because he was there when Virtuosity split and something about the way he is, the way he is invested, uh, is causing him to be stuck in time. So if, if Frank's theory is correct and they do like reconnect everything, that's kind of what frees Hoyd up is he's, he's connected back to his 
his body and he's he's good to go then. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have like a counterpart to split or like whatever, maybe. Um I I have to say, so I had a lot of thoughts. I, I feel similar to Ranks was saying at the beginning, like, oh, he like knew it was Hoyd talking beforehand and then Brandon confirmed it and he didn't get to act super smart and clever for, for doing it. I feel like I had a similar thing. Um, but I'm taking what he's saying a little bit further. Uh, and this is this is a very much like me and Elliot's level theory of I'm guessing with a lot of missing pieces that I don't get to know. But I um how we see Yumi's magic system, where they like have a spirit or whatever they're called, and like it's kind of a neutral thing, but they split it so at least part of it can be like extra they're they're opposites like that's how they make lights right it's like a light and a dark part and they get to use the light for like practical purposes and stuff um and i wonder if that's what virtuosity did like initially was she whatever whatever the term is shattered herself or whatever and split this into the two planets and that was like the purpose or why she did it to herself um which then it's I don't know the details of this, so, uh, but that's that's where my mind went right away. And maybe they they'd see throughout the rest of the story, like a practical purpose or a way you can combine things back together, either for good or like other pieces putting them together. And that's kind of what we're seeing. The start of that is Yumi like doing that and bringing Painter somehow. I, I think that was cool that he come was like maybe they're like the opposite spirits that were split whatever like i could see that that's really cool uh, but that's where my mind went was that maybe this these two planets were one and that that was kind of the shattering was like the split into two there one thing that i just want to expound upon which he said which i think is brilliant with the the planet splitting and how they're they're working together i think the sun is here the the red giant sun planet one and planet two and planet two is on a constant lunar eclipse if you will of of the sun so planet one is orbiting planet the the sun with a you know a spin and has a normal day and then planet two is over here just on the same speed never sees the sun but sees planet one yeah it's like constantly blocked right i i had that exact same thought as i was listening to you guys talk here and the description of that planet in the sky on painter's planet almost seems to fit that it's described as a a bullet hole in the sky bleeding pale light it's almost as if, yeah, like the sun is behind it, like kind of streaming around it almost a little bit. The problem is what you just described is not possible through orbital mechanics as we know them, like in our solar system. The The speed that you orbit the sun is determined pretty much completely by the distance you are from it. And so you can't do what you're saying in our physics. Right. Now there could there could easily be other factors here that could be enabling this. There could be other bodies. I'm actually wondering if Rank's Rank's theory here about like the splitting of everything 
what if the sun is split too? What if there's another like black hole, if you will? Oh, a black kind of. Oh, exactly. So that maybe maybe the sun is blocked by the planet or something else that can see, it, and there's a darkness body that's affecting the the dark planet. Once you get that many different gravitational bodies affecting orbits, like anything's possible at that point. It gets really complicated. So complicated, but not yeah, impossible. That's wacky. I really like what you just said. It's there great the, you. Yeah, the splitting of the dark and the light, like the the little orb thing, just going that one step further of saying that happened to the sun. All right, he's got a little bit more for us to go, but we'll finish it off here. Uh, I have a lot of other thoughts like related to Hoyt and design and and the, these mists and these creatures, but I think this is the big takeaway I have that might be unique among people who are giving their perspectives. Um, I haven't gone through and read the channel yet to see what others' perspectives are, so this is sort of my clean perspective on that, and I hope this was interesting, and I hope uh, Trevor was able to edit this down into a, a decent length, but... Um, yeah, uh, thank you again for this podcast. I really enjoy it. Um, if please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon, uh, if you you know get if you enjoy it at all, um, I think that it is one of the best Cosmere podcasts out there, and I really enjoy it. And I hope you do too. And I will see you on the Discord. Thank you, Ranks, for submitting that video. I. When I watched this earlier today, I was like, man, this is really, really good. I'm really glad he gave this this. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I, I was just going to remind everyone to also check out ranks. It's very hard to say you guys a plural or possessive. Ranks YouTube channel. Yes, make sure to check it out. We shout it out every time. It's kind of fun. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead. He's live streaming Sudoku as we record this. I see it on my <laughs> other monitor. So, all right. Anything that you guys want to bring up? I'm gonna get go through some more uh, reactions, but that, I mean, there's only so much that you can pull out of seven chapters. So he covered quite a bit, but I'll keep going for a couple other things. Yeah, I had one thing. Uh, I really uh, noticed how Painter and uh, what Shy does in The Emperor's Soul are very similar. They're taking something that, that's formless, or, or in, in Painter's case, something that's formless and could go anywhere, and saying, well, you could be this, and it becomes that. And with Shy, uh, what she does is she takes something that has this history, and she says, well, what if your history was like this, and changes it? It's very, very curious there and very in line with the way investiture works as far as we know. Did any of you pick up on the use of the word Nimi or Nimi? So I forgot about that until you mentioned it. Yes. So Kaiser in our discord brings this up. Uh, I'm just going to read his uh, his comment here. All right, while, while you're pulling that up, I just remembered why that's a thing. Is because we always hear that 
sword Nimi talking yes. about Nightblood. Yep. So, uh okay. Now, isn't it Zeth who calls Nightblood that? Yeah, and he's and, the only one that does. Right. right. So this was a big... The, lots of people weighed in on this in, in our Discord. Um, Ace, or sorry, Spunlines uh, weighed in on this. Kaiser weighed in on this. Ingen weighed in on this, um, which I'll go through here in a second. But the, the use of the word Nimi is super interesting because... Uh, Zeth just starts randomly calling Nightblood that, and the reader doesn't really think about it because, and this is something that uh, Spunlines is saying, is that the, the reason why you don't really think about that is because Zeth has honorifics that he's been referring to of, to people up until that point, and so you just assume this is another one of those. Yeah. How, however, with the use of this now here, now you're trying to think of Okay, then did Nightblood tell him to call him that? And has Nightblood been here? So, like, that's a question. Or is this is the story taking place after that? And somehow Zeth or the Shin people brought that here. There, there's plenty of questions. What do you guys think? What if? What if it's a little less connected than that? What if? We know that Zeth went through a phase of many different owners, right? When he was, you know, obeying his oath stone. What if in the long course of that, one of the owners was a person from this world and that person told him to call him by that honorific and somehow Zeth sees some sort of a similarity in that person. Like there's some sort of correlation between that person and Nightblood and so Nightblood is now using that honorific for, or Zeth is now using that honorific for Nightblood because of that owner he had at one point. That's a, that's a curious idea. I, I wouldn't discount it, but I think it's, it's more likely that it's some sort of shared origin culture. And while many things have changed, this particular honorific has stayed similar enough that when it's, Quote, quote, translated into this other language, it comes out the same. Because it is another language where he's talking about, Brandon talks about there's highs and there's lows. Uh, and so there's honorifics, there's non-honorifics. Right. Kind of thing. Don't worry, Elliot. I'm sure we'll figure out when we read Rhythm of War. Do you guys think it could be a negative honorific? I think so. You think? Could think Zeth be like so afraid of Nightblood that he is like calling it a like derogative name almost? I don't necessarily think of it as like a a bad turn like bad, but almost like like a mild talking down to like okay, like what in English, right? If someone's like, listen here, son, you know, or like kid, like whatever. I, I, I could see it somewhat in that context. I'd have to go reread, but I feel like he kind of, the interactions I've seen between him and Nightblood is him not really trusting Nightblood, um, entirely. So I could see it being kind of like a, the, like a, like a hush, like not, not a super like derogatory, like bad thing, but like a little, because Nightblood is described as somewhat childish several times. 
right? The the only counter I have to that is the way it's used here. Is it's an it's an honorific here. So Yumi, the the quote is Yumi quickly rose. Is it time, Warden Nimi? She said with enormous respect. Like it has enormous respect right there next to it. So I would wow. I would assume it's translated the same. Of this is an honorific. Zeth is just you know reverence to Nightblood, maybe to the point of fear of you freak me out and you you're you're way up here for me. Yeah, it almost raises even more questions about the Zeth Nightblood interaction because you don't you could almost see fitting more what we were just talking about as more of the perhaps derogatory, but if it is this is indeed a oh, you know, master sword person, like what does how did this connection get drawn that he's using such of like a a title for Nightblood? I actually like Tim's thought about like cultural origins. I'm, I know very little about the Shin people in general. I wonder if this is a, is this a Zeth thing or is this a Shin thing? Are there other Shin people that use this term that would shed some light on, on this investigation? I think. One of the theories in our discord, and this was from secret project one, there's a one liner in secret project one that says the Iriali are not uh, originally from Roshar. And so, and we, we had learned that in Secret Project 1. So we were, we were throwing around the the possibility that maybe the Iriali brought that to Shinovar because they're right next to each other. Um, and that's how that aren't, happened. Aren't technically all of the humans not from Roshar? Yes. <laughs> that's a good point. True. <laughs> I guess that's I was not... I say I thought so. That's that... Wasn't like the big mic drop. We, we'd have to see the context for that statement, but that seems like zero new news to me. Right. I mean, the, the Iriali had a had a name drop in Secret Project 1 um, of like they were, you know, whatever. Something that's kind of removed from the story, but I think is interesting to talk about is uh, th these Secret Projects haven't, open a cool opportunity for Brandon Sanderson to make an have an independent like movie or adaptation contract because these are self-published. All of these secret projects are going to be self-published. And so that makes it really easy as far as adaptations go, because all of them are fairly digestible. Like all of them are around a hundred thousand words, whereas the way of Kings is 400,000 words. And that's book one, but all of these are fairly independent. And so you could use one of these secret projects to, you know, get your, get your first movie, get your first show. Yeah, um, like jumpstart the right. Get, get Hollywood interested in signing your, signing your Cosmere contracts. So this one and specifically secret project one, I think would be really cool standalone movies to, to jumpstart this. Yeah, I'm behind that. That'd be great. Yeah, the weird part will will come in with like crossover, because you know, it's, it, it, if you ever name drop, you know, a character from Stormlight Archive, something that is owned by his publisher. Not like does that get into gray territory? But but no, that's actually an interesting idea. Could could he use this as like the the gateway into you know attracting a bigger a bigger deal? That 
Yeah, I could totally, I could totally see that happening. That is a good point. Who has the rights to Hoyd? Uh, right, yeah. like there's there's separate there's separate ownership between Mistborn and or there's separate rights ownership between Mistborn and Stormlight. So who owns Hoyd as a character name? That's so weird, actually. Yeah, we need a, a copyright lawyer to decipher that one. Any closing thoughts? I I will just say I loved this this little glimpse, this little teaser of this story. I just felt like this was such an interesting world. And I'm just so impressed that, you know, one of the biggest differentiators, if you will, about Brandon Sanderson is the breadth of his work that the amount of like different stories he is weaving together into one and the amount of different settings he's got, he's got many different systems of planets and he's, you know, telling stories on all these different places. And yet here's a probably brand new one. And it still feels different than anything we've seen before. Like we're going through this world and I'm there, there's correlations. There's things that feel familiar it feels like you're in the cosmere but then at the same time there's new stuff and it's like i can easily you know picture this world separate than i can from roshar separate from my that i can from even the other planets that we've just barely been on for some of these shorter stories like that is really impressive writing right there the fact that he can do that even this short you know seven chapters gives me a, a pretty clear picture of what at least painter's planet feels like i loved it yeah, I totally agree. Feel free to read Secret Project 1 early chapters if you'd like to. The uh on Brandon Sanderson's podcast with uh his his friend Dan Wells, I think his name is, they brainstorm a bunch of really bad world-building ideas. Um his latest one was what if you had a a world like a, a planet and then a small planet on top of that planet and everybody lives on the small planet and the big planet is being pushed around by some giant force and you have to balance <laughs> that was that was the so to give you some context on the the cool brandon sanderson ideas he's got a lot of bad ones too so just just, just balance that out <laughs> Wait, hold on. I'm still I'm still putting this imagery together. So everyone's on this little planet that's on the big planet. Right. Right. And they have to like collectively as a world like move around the planet to like stay balanced on the big planet. Yes. <laughs> okay, nice. Yes, that was cool. that was the pitch and he he got some of the same reactions that you just that you just gave like what uh -huh. on earth are you talking about <laughs> I don't know how you I don't know how you make that into a story like I would I would be curious to read because like how do you make that like how do you cope with characters and they're like all right guys I think we're starting to roll to the right a little bit we need to get everyone to move to the left like or however and physics then, works then you just get this one main character of like I don't want to I'm going to go this way and just yeah. throws everything off Exactly. Yeah, somehow Brandon would make that interesting. Yeah. All right, any more closing thoughts? Just a big thank you to Ranksk and all of our other contributors in our in our Discord for sharing your thoughts and, and helping us dive into these little 
secret projects. This has been really fun to get a, a little surprise glimpse into this and be able to digest it with all you guys. So appreciate it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate everyone watching um, and who, who's listened to, to us talk about Stormlight and all kinds of dumb stuff. Um, I also really appreciate uh, Spencer and Tim being here and Elliot Trevor yes. that we made it 100 episodes. Honestly, when we started, I didn't think we would I didn't know if we would keep going to 100 episodes. I didn't I didn't really think that we would. I didn't know. But it's really cool to see um, that we, we've done this much and, and come a long way and, and just all the fun stuff. So, Yeah, and from a somewhat outsider perspective, it's been really cool to see you guys grow from episode one to now. Just like seeing you guys get more comfortable in the Cosmere and more comfortable like theorizing and talking and just like bouncing crazy ideas off each other. It's been really cool to watch. But- yeah, I agree. It's been incredible. And uh, I, I recently did a, a sprint. I listened through like 10, 15, maybe even 20 episodes in a day or two. Um, and so I'm finally caught up with you guys. And I have learned so much from you guys about uh, these books and I, I just I really appreciate it it's been awesome I, I will say I put off making that intro clip that you guys saw at the beginning of this episode beginning of the part one episode for a while because I did not want to click on episode one because I knew I was going to cringe <laughs> at how at how poorly we were going to be talking and I did cringe but I did make it and making all of those like grabbing all those clips I was just like hmm I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy our first ten episodes. But you got to, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. So here we are. Mm. Yeah. Just All right. imagine what we'll be like at episode two hundred, five oh. or ten years in the future. Yeah, five years from now <laughs> yes. again. Yeah. Five years. Dude, that was from episode fifty. So yes, that was fifty. Episodes. Ten years from now. Yep. Ten yep. years from now, when we're in episode two hundred, and we're like halfway through Rhythm of War. Um, I also didn't realize we were talking about our predictions to Oathbringer on episode 56. That's all that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Oathbringer took us a while, it took a long time. I didn't realize that like almost half of our episodes have been Oathbringer, yeah, 40, yeah, 40 percent of them. All right, thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot, and always, and thank you for joining me on the special episode, Spencer and Tim. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah. It's Uh, always great to be here. Farewell. Arrivederci. I said that wrong. To the next hundred episodes.